You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. at 330 South Market Street. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Dan Jetto. Okay, uh, becoming love, a double entendre. And a double entendre, that means it's got two meanings. That becoming love has two meanings. And the title in itself is a goal uh, with those two meanings, that we would become love, that we would become like God. God says, I am God is love. That's not all of who he is, but that we would become like him in loving, but also that we would love in a becoming manner. And when I talk about loving in a becoming manner, love that is attractive, love that people see and say, I like that, and love that would cause people to be drawn to Jesus himself the Jesus that's in us, becoming love. So with this in mind, if we each individually or as a church body could become anything in this world, what would it be? If we could be known for anything at the end of our lives, what would it be? As children, we dreamed of great careers, of being heroes, princes, princesses, firemen, having great adventures, going and doing amazing things. And here we are today. What have we become and what are we known for? What adventures have we had? How do we measure our greatness? Is it in our title, in our wealth? Is it in our accomplishments? There are people who strive and train to be hot dog eating champions of the world. That's not a title I want to have. That's not what I want to be known for at the end of my life, that I could eat a hundred hot dogs in eight minutes or whatever they have to do it in. Donuts, maybe. If what we become and what we do are what we are remembered for when we leave this world, will it be something that we can present to Jesus and say, this is my best? An old Facebook post popped up in my feed this week, one of those things where it says, here's your memory, you do want to share it. I did not share it. It said, I, I had typed in there, when I leave this world, I hope that people don't remember me for what I did or what I owned, but how I loved. Now, if I had known what I'm preaching today when I wrote that four years ago, I might be closer to my goal, closer to what I want to be, what I want to be known for. In the passage we look at today, Jesus shares a parable with a religious expert to illustrate how God wants us to love the people around us, something that is often quite difficult unless we become like Jesus, who is love, and learn to love in a way that is becoming. So I want you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And I'm reading in the uh, New Living Translation today. And it begins like this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? 
The man, man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with the story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil, and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn, to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I am here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. In this passage, as we look at it, we're going to see that when we are becoming love and we are loving in a becoming manner, we will begin to see with eyes of compassion and mercy. We will also respond to meet the needs of others without being asked. And it almost always is going to cost us something personally. And this is why it won't happen unless we become love. That is, we become like Jesus. And that can only be accomplished by being with Jesus. And that is, as in John chapter 15, it says, abiding with him, resting in him, being attached to him, living in him. And that leads to our bumper sticker for today. So every week I like to preach when I have a bumper sticker and it says, be with Jesus to be like Jesus. So we have to be with Jesus to be like Jesus. So now as we go through this passage, I need you to put your seatbelts on because we are going to fly. And it all begins with the religious law expert asking Jesus a question. He asks him, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And I want you to know that it is dangerous for us to ask Jesus a question that we already know the answer to or we're using to try to make ourselves look good because you're about to be humbled when you do that. Um, if Jesus has told you that you need to do this and you ask him, should I do this, he's going to humble us when we do that. Jesus' response to the question is to ask a question of the religious leader. He throws it right back in his lap. He says, you know the answer, answer it. And he says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.5, something he's memorized since he was just a little kid in rabbi school or in uh, religious law school, and Leviticus 19.18. Jesus tells him, right, go do that. You know the answer, do it. 
And, and, it, and he, then he wants to justify himself because he knows he hasn't been doing this. He knows himself. He says, I want to justify myself. So he wants to get into debate with, this religious, with Jesus, the religious law does, so that he can find ways to get around it with technicalities. He wants some wiggle room on the loving my neighbor stuff. And so he asks, who is my neighbor? Now the Jews at that time defined their neighbor to include only a fellow Jew. So he didn't have to love Gentiles or non-Jews. He had to love the Jews. That was the way they defined their neighbor. And this is the opening that Jesus is waiting for. And so he tells a parable that we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it begins with a Jewish man. A Jewish man is on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho and he has to walk this road. And he's attacked and robbed and he's beaten and he's left naked and half dead. A trip through this mountainous territory, even for many, many years, and I believe probably even today, because of the way it's structured, is very dangerous. Jerome, an early church scholar and historian, said that this road was called the Red or Bloody Way. So when the Jews heard Jesus start this parable, they understood that this was a possibility, that this could have happened. The first person who passes by is a priest in the parable, and Jesus says he saw the man lying there, and he crossed to the other side of the road. Now this is someone who knows the requirements of the law and is supposed to stand in the presence of God for the Israelites, and he crosses the road. Now, we don't know why he chose not to help, but to make matters worse, he purposely crosses to the other side so he doesn't have to look at the man as he goes by. The expert in the law is probably saying, ouch, right now, because he knows a lot of the priests. He's buddies with them. These are the guys that he goes out to dinner with. So the next person who comes by in this parable is the temple assistant. The temple assistant would have had to have been a Levite, from the tribe of Levi. This is somebody who works in the temple. Again, assisting the people of Israel to worship their God. Oftentimes, they were the ones who cooked the, the fellowship offerings so that the Israelites could eat them. He's from a priestly line. And it says he saw the man lying there, and he, again, crossed the road to the other side and walked on by. If you're reading this parable, we do not want to be like these guys, okay? Jesus likes to use contrast. He does this all the time. And then he says, then a despised Amer a Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Despised? Jesus is calling the Samaritan despised. Why would the Samaritan be despised? Well, the Jewish inhabitants of Samaria had intermarried with foreigners. They were considered half-breeds by the Jews. And they were told not to intermarry when they entered the promised land because God knew that if they intermarried with the people of the, the Canaanites that they would draw them away from God and into their pagan worship and their idol worship and God didn't want them to do that. Well, they had done that and they had adopted some of those idolatrous behaviors. There were other historical reasons to despise them too. These are the same people who tried to keep Nehemiah from rebuilding the temple. They built a temple for themselves in Mount Gerizim and insisted that Moses had designated that as the place for worship. 
So when we read John chapter 4, think about that. Where, where, where are we supposed to worship God? Samaria was a refuge for Jewish criminals. Well, when a Jew became a criminal, he would go to Samaria because he knew the Jews weren't going to come looking for him there. They rejected all of the Jewish scripture except the first five books, the Pentateuch of the law. This despised Samaritan, in contrast to the right and honorable priest and Levite, saw the man, but he didn't cross over to the other side. And although the man was a Jew, and the way the Jews had treated the Samaritan, he very well could have said, serves him right, and walked on by, but he didn't. No, Jesus says that when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him, and his compassion moved him to action. He stopped and began first aid, applying oil to soothe his wounds and using wine to disinfect them. He placed the man on his own donkey. Uh, this makes him more susceptible to attack now because he's going to have to move slower. This also means he either has to carry what the donkey was carrying on his own back and he's probably having to walk instead of ride. Now he arrives in town, he puts the man up in an inn and he cares for him through the night making sure he survives. He gives the innkeeper money to continue helping him to recover and promises to make good on any additional costs when he returns. Now this story is a parable. And when Jesus tells a parable, there's only one main point that should be made in each parable. Now I'm going to draw principles out of this parable, but the main point of this parable is that everybody is our neighbor. And we are to love them as we love ourselves. There's nobody that we can exclude from our love. We need to love them. So if you forget anything else I say, remember the one main meaning of the parable. Jesus emphasized this when he asked, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The expert in the law rightly replies, the one who showed him mercy. Notice he cannot bring himself to say the Samaritan. Then Jesus says, now go and do the same. Because love that is becoming is always compassionate and merciful. That's what Jesus wants us to be like. When we are becoming love and loving in a becoming manner, we will see people through the eyes of compassion and mercy. The language despised Samaritan smacks of racism. This is a racism that existed in the, in the Jewish nation at this time. Racism is an affront to God. It's an affront to who God is. But so is showing favoritism. James in chapter 2, 9, uh, the, the brother of Jesus writes, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Why don't you think about Acts 1, 8? Acts 1, 8 tells us to... To go out and preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit is going to give us power to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He doesn't exclude anybody that we are supposed to witness to. 
In Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9, we see every tribe and every nation standing before God's throne. All people God want to come to know him. All people are our neighbors. And we can be a neighbor to the person next door. We can be a neighbor to a person in Dominican Republic. We can be a neighbor to the person in Conakry, Africa. We can be a neighbor to the people that we work with. Because someone is different than me, it should not affect whether or not I serve them. It doesn't matter what race they are. It doesn't matter what their social status is. It doesn't matter what their sins are. It doesn't matter what their educational level is. It doesn't matter how old, how beautiful, how bald, how tall. Everybody should love bald people, right? What color eyes they have, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what difficulties they find themselves in. Their life circumstances should not keep us from loving them, even if it's their own choice to get to that life circumstance, which frequently it is not. The Jews of Jesus' time had a mentality that bad things happened to people because they sinned, that they deserved it. Maybe that's why the priest and the Levite crossed to the other side, the temple assistant crossed to the other side. They may have thought that this was God's judgment, this was a sinner, He's getting what he deserved. In John's gospel, he shares the event where Jesus and the disciples came across a blind man. And his disciples ask, whose fault is it, his or his parents? Why is this guy blind? No, it's obviously sin. Why is this guy blind? And Jesus says, no, uh, he's blind so that God can be glorified. And then Jesus heals him. And he comes to become a believer. We need to show compassion and mercy to all. We don't know how... how they ended up in their life circumstances. We can't change their life circumstances from the past, but we can affect their future. Divorced, bankrupt, in prison, overwhelmingly rich, don't judge them, love them. All that matters is that they were created in the image of God. If we're going to become love and love in a becoming fashion, we have to see with Jesus' eyes Eyes of compassion and mercy. And when we are becoming love and love in a becoming manner, we will respond to meet the needs of others without being asked. Compassion is not empathy. It's not just an emotion. It's deeper than that. It makes a commitment to act. The Samaritan saw the need and he acted with what he had to meet the known need. In the parable, the man would have likely died if the Samaritan had not acted. He said he was half dead. The man would most likely have died from exposure of nothing else. He would have got cold at night. He would have been naked, uh, suffered hypothermia, gone into shock, and probably died. So what signs should be in our lives if we are compassionate and merciful? Have we comforted someone who is hurting? Have we met the physical needs of someone who's struggling? Have we visited someone who is sick? Have we helped a stranded motorist? Have we returned a grocery cart for a, at a store for a mother who's struggling trying to get toddlers into her car? Have we helped the poor? Have we shared the good news of Jesus Christ to prevent somebody from suffering an eternal death? Did we see needy people this week and cross over to the other side of the road to avoid looking at them? 
Now, I know that there are people out there who are going to take advantage of us. So we have to use wisdom as we give and as we serve. We have to listen to God. But I'd rather be taken advantage of and lose a little bit of what is mine than miss the opportunity to change somebody's eternity. Now, I know that I have been guilty of sometimes judging people, especially these people standing at intersections with cardboard signs. And I refuse to even make eye contact, you know, kind of do this, keep my window rolled up, uh, hope the light changes quick. I'm guessing all of us have done that before. I, we were recently in Texas, and, and I want you to know I'm committed to changing that. Um, and what I'm thinking I'm going to do is I'm going to start taking some of those hope cards and maybe some of our Bibles. I'm putting some money in a plastic bag with the hope card and the Bible, and when I find those guys at the intersection, give them that. Now, they may buy, take that money and go buy booze or cigarettes or something. Um, I don't care. If they open that Bible, they find that card, at some point in time, they may say, I want to find this place. They care enough about me. I want to find where they're at. I'm going to visit them, see if that changes the life. Now, when I was in Texas, back to Texas, I'm driving. I just dropped Caleb off at work, my other son, and I was coming back, and I, one of those guys was at the intersection. They're all over the place down there because the weather's warm. But he had the greatest sign, and I actually had to turn around go around the block and come back and give them. And Becky, can you put that sign up for me? Help stop hobophobia. Um, so a hobo is somebody who is just a bum, basically. And I thought this, was, this guy has a sense of humor. He recognizes that he's, you know, living the life the way he wants to be. And I drove around and I, I gave him a few bucks. Uh, it's not only about this, though. It's not just about giving money. It's not just about giving time. It's about giving the love of God that God has placed in our hearts. It's sharing all of the good things that God has given us. Now, when we are becoming love and love in a becoming manner, it's almost always going to cost us something personally. In this passage, we see that it costs a Samaritan. His schedule was interrupted. You know what? When our schedules are interrupted, that's often the greatest time that we have to provide a blessing from God to somebody else. Those are opportunities to share grace with others. He used his own supplies to clean the room. So his, his wine and his oil he used to work on healing this man. It probably cost him a night's sleep to try to take care of this guy overnight in the end so that he knew that he was in good enough shape that he could leave some money behind and leave. And it cost him financially. Unconditional love, becoming love, sometimes hurts. But it's always worth it because it has the ability to change lives, change circumstances, and change eternal destinies. Our plans will be disrupted. Retirements delayed. Purchases delayed or possibly forsaken. We will at times be rejected, taken advantage of, or taken for granted, or even mocked. But you know, Jesus experienced the same thing. Many people came to see Jesus not for his message, 
but only to, see the, to receive healing or to see a miracle. We may never be thanked for what we've done, but we will be remembered. Jesus will be glorified in our lives and some will come back, not, not for the love, but for the source of the love that we have in Jesus. Knowing that when we are becoming love and loving in a becoming manner, we're going to see with eyes of compassion and mercy. We are going to respond without being asked. It will cost us something personally. That's the what. The question is how. I have two quick points on the how. The first is to become love. How does that love get so deeply ingrained in who we are that we love in a becoming manner? Because it should be something that flows out of us naturally. And it is that we have to become like Jesus. We have to become like Jesus. And how do we become like Jesus? Well, you know what? We become like the people that we hang around with. Athletes hang around with athletes. Why? Because they can pick up skills from other athletes. They can learn from them. That's why coaches are there. We need to hang with Jesus. In John chapter 15, he talks about abiding in him, resting in him. I want you to think about this. It's like Jesus is sitting in the, the barca lounger over here. And we jump up in his lap and just rest in him and let him wrap his arms around him. And we listen to him. And we, we watch him do the things he does. And then he sends us out and he's got his hand on our back and says, okay, now do this. It's not a works thing. Let's read this from John chapter 15. I am the true vine, grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot uh, be fruitful unless you remain in me. So when we rest in him, this is not about going out and working on a bunch of details. It is resting in Jesus, letting his power, his love inhabit your life. So a branch on a grapevine, it doesn't go out there and go, I'm going to spit out a grape bunch today. No. What's it do? It lets the nutrients that are coming from the root flow through its body and its vines just naturally grow. And in the right season, the grapes come out and they start to ripen. And that's the way our lives should be. We have to stay eternally connected, continually connected to Jesus to do that, though. So we have to rest in him. We have to abide. We have to live in Jesus Christ, attached to him. And the only way that we can do that is we have to have some times that are set aside where we're quiet with Jesus, where we're just listening. We need to take some time to pray. We need to be in his word, listening to him. We need to praise him. God inhabits the praises of his people. We need to let his word permeate our lives. We cannot force acts of becoming love. Because when we start to force the acts of love, they're no longer acts of love, they're chores. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, it says over and over again that things done without love have no lasting value, but these three things do last forever, faith, hope, and love. So we cannot force love. It's got to flow from us and through us as we meet with Jesus and Jesus fills us. And second, we need to find mentoring relationships. Finding someone who is loving in a, find someone who is loving in a becoming, becoming manner and hang out with them. Let them mentor us. This could be a one-on-one prayer partner, accountability partner, discipleship partner person. It could be a small group, again, to help us grow in our understanding and and have a group that we can become like. Find a mentor, someone we can ask questions of, someone you respect. And when you see them loving in a becoming manner, ask them about their motivation. Why did you do that? What moved you to do that? Ask them about what they value. Watch their lives, you'll see. Become love in all meanings of this phrase. Become more like Jesus and let that love that is becoming flow naturally from inside of us and out. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, you are a great and glorious God. And Lord, you can do amazing things in our lives if we would just hang out with you, rest in you, and let you become our great provider and director. And I pray, Jesus, that as we leave here today, that we would find opportunities, Lord, uh, where, where people are placed in our way, that rather than cross to the other side or shield our eyes, Lord, that we would be able to reach out and be you to them. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. We meet 10 a.m. Sundays at Chatfield Elementary School on 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives.